You're listening to the Podcast Network. Listen. Learn. Evolve. Hey, hello. I'm like in your brain or in by your ears. Uh, this is just a note to say that the podcast you're about to listen to is brought to you by the dudes at Motorola. Okay. Enjoy, dude. G'day, Cam. G'day, Rich. How are you, mate? I'm good, mate. How's it going in Perth? <laughs> Not bad, mate. Bit of rain. Yeah. Must be like Melbourne weather. <laughs> I was going to say, I didn't think it rained uh, over there at all, mate. <laughs> uh, it does occasionally. So welcome to G'day World, Rich. Have you ever been on G'day World before? No, never. I've never invited you on G'day World. That's just no. wrong. I've felt snubbed for months. In fact, <laughs> I've felt snubbed for a year. <laughs> well, <laughs> mate, uh, what can I say? I, I, I didn't want to uh, get in the road. Didn't want to get in the road of the gadget show, mate. Yeah, fair enough. Thank you for that. You were, uh, you know, you're, you're the number one man, the number one podcaster on TPN. When you bother yeah. to do a show. <laughs> what do you mean when I bother? I've got a good track record at the moment. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You're not as good as yours, mate. You picked up quite well. Mate, uh, yeah, you know, it's the leader's job to be out there and uh, leading, and there's not many things that I can lead in uh, apart Except from that. talking. Talking and activity. <laughs> Mind you, I don't have a job. <laughs> the rest of you guys have a job. Yeah, true, true. So, mate, what has been on your mind today? You've today. been boing-boinged, you've been causing trouble, it's all good to see. Tell us about, let's start with the boing-boinging, Rich. What did you get boing-boinged for? I got boing-boinged, so I picked up, uh, let's have a think, I got the magazine, I got Wired magazine, and, and people that listen to the show know that I get Wired magazine religiously, because I'm a bit like that. I've held on to the belief that Wired is a cool magazine, even when those people faltered. How long have you been getting it religiously? <coughs> Ten years, as really? it turns out. Have you kept them all? Have you got an archive? I have. My my wife <laughs> my wife hates it. She won't let me put them in the bookcase at the moment. Mind you, we've only got one bookcase, so uh, that's not surprising. As soon as I get a bookcase from my office, they're all going back in the shelves. The bookcase so, would be filled up with books you've written, though, by now, wouldn't it? No. Well, yeah. I've bought all of the copies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you're doing well to get wide for 10 years, because I, I, I guess like most people, you know, there was a point a few years ago, I can't remember when, when wide sort of became more about advertising and less about content, I felt. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people shared that opinion. Hmm. But I'm uh, being having a marketing degree, I actually appreciate good advertising. Well, that's true. There's a lot of good advertising, but you know, I, I don't mind good advertising, but I'm not sure I want to pay 15 bucks to be advertised to. <laughs> yeah, true. I have a problem true. with paying money to be advertised at. That's just me. Yeah. Well, I want to get the copies, I, I, and, and they probably cost far too much now, but I want to get the really early copies, the, mm. the ones that first launched it. So I don't do know you, when do it's you, Do you do what I do? Do you pull out, like, the copies from 98 and 99? Because I, I went out and I threw out most of mine a, a, a while back during a move, but, like, like Business 2.0 and Red Herring and Wired, I kept the ones from, like, 96 through to 2000 that were just full of, like, Hype Central on the front page and had, you know, uh, prognosticators declaring that the world was going to be finished by 2001 and uh, <laughs> all the ones that just, you know, 
clue yeah, it big no, time. No, there, were, there were some good ones, yeah, that's for sure. My favourite one, actually, the one that springs to mind most often is the one of Bill Gates laying back on a, um, a rubber inflatable thing in, in a pool somewhere. Um, have you seen that one? <laughs> I don't believe oh. I, I do recall that one. There'll be an image somewhere. I was looking at it again yesterday, but I've had to shove them all back in boxes. And um, Actually, on Saturday, not yesterday. I had to shove them all back in boxes back in the shed until I get my bookcase sorted out. But there's, I'll see if I can um, find an image for you and flick you a link. It's, it's a beauty. It's, it's funny. It's not quite as good as the one of Bill Gates laying on his desk, um, longing, longingly looking at the camera while throwing floppy disks. Floppy disks, yeah, that, that is a thing of beauty. <laughs> I've got that one blown up and I, I got it on my wall. I look at it in, you know, my, pri- my quiet private moments. So, yeah. let's get back to, uh, you and Wired. So what, yeah. what, what, what revelation did you have recently? So I was picking it up. I've actually been thinking about it for quite some time because what I noticed was over the years the page count of Wired declined quite dramatically, right, until the point where I thought they were going to go out of business. And uh, and recently it's getting back to respectable levels, you know, about 200 or so pages. But let me just grab the... So the one came... And the first thing you notice about this one, because we get them a couple of weeks after uh, the release in the US. The first thing that that popped out was the fact that it's a nice glossy front cover, which normally, you know, they're, they're matte type thing, whereas this is high gloss. And the second thing that you'd notice is how actual... And it, so it's 294 pages, and I thought, well, I wonder if that's a really good indicator or what of the fact that everybody's hyping technology again. So I thought, let's let's get the page count, let's waste several hours where I should be writing a book, and go through my whole collection and there, notice that some are missing, and compile the page count and compare it to something like the NASDAQ. So I did that. Incorrectly at first, I had the NASDAQ graph backwards, so it uh, seemed to indicate that the, uh, which is another story, which seemed to indicate that the, um, the, the wired was actually leading by a few months the NASDAQ's, um, composite index, so therefore, you know, suggesting that if you check wide's page count, then if you, you buy based on it, which I never suggested, right? I'm not suggesting you go and buy any shares in tech companies. Um, so anyway, the, when except I... For the, except for the podcast network, right? Except for the, oh, yeah, of course. If we could <laughs> buy shares. Yeah, well, just you hold that thought. Uh, <laughs> so so I graphed it, and it, it, it matches quite well. I mean, what I had to do was divide the NASDAQ Composite Index by 10, but that was just to, you know, shorten the graph and get them both, you know, on a... So you could actually see the, the correlation a bit better. And... Um, yeah, as it turns out, it, it's almost an exact copy. I mean, there's spikes and stuff like that are a bit different, but given that the, the NASDAQ is a daily thing and why it's only a monthly thing. But it showed that, uh, yeah, you could actually look at the um, Wide Magazine page count and it'd give you a good idea of how well the NASDAQ's doing. But anyway, because I did the, the graph wrong, there's a few people out there saying, oh, you know, this, is, this shows exactly why weblogs are no good because, you know, it can pro- propagate an increase story that hasn't been fact-checked far too easily and I suggested that 
that probably is the case with major media rather than with blogs because, you know, within 24 hours, in less than 24 hours, I'd corrected the graph and uh, I've sent an email off to, to Mark Oingborn to let him know that the graph is different now and so when he finishes his weekend, I'm sure he'll get back and do something about it. But anyway, yeah, it got me boing boing to now, yeah, there's a, lot, a whole bunch of people talking about it, so it's kind of cool. It was good fun. I enjoyed mucking around with stupid stuff like that. So the graph that you did, over what uh, time period did you take it back? Ten years. So, not, in fact, no, nah, probably more like nine. I think the end of 96 to today, basically, this this particular one. And all I did was go to Yahoo. In fact, I've got the CSV file, so if anyone wants it, go to the Gadget Show blog. Um, I've put the CSV file on there that I used and um, used Yahoo to generate the month, I guess it does a monthly average, or, or maybe it does the end price at the end of the month, but whatever it was, I just grabbed it from Yahoo because you can actually generate a .csv file from Yahoo for the, the NASDAQ and imported that in backwards at first and then forwards <laughs> when I figured that one out. So what do you deduce from all of this, Rich? that people can spend copious amounts of time wasting it on doing graphs. <laughs> well, that's the obvious one. Does it mean that <laughs> you know, in uh, times when the investment community is feeling boisterous about tech stocks that more money is spent on advertising in Wired? <laughs> Well, I think some other people have looked at the correlation. And, in fact, I flicked an email off to, to Chris Anderson, who I've had on the show before, and he's the um, chief editor. I think he's the chief editor. Something like oh, that, yeah. Um, senior and editor, I think. Senior editor. Hang on. Let me yeah. I'll find it in here. Um, editor-in-chief. Correct. There you go. Better. Um, uh, and he sent back saying they've actually done stuff like this before and even based it on, you know, advertising content and stuff like that. So um, I don't know how many adverts are in this. It's probably a fair amount. But, but I mean, yeah, I think it's a... I think it's a good, I mean, you know, you can ignore all of this and, you know, call it crap, but, I mean, the reality is that everybody's starting to see technology as, well, hopefully a realistic um, solution to some problems these days because there's a lot more activity on the net and, and technology in general that makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah. You know, one of the interesting things that came out... Hold on, I've got one of my kids here. Yes, Ty. One more. Do one more. One more. Yeah, that's four more to get up to 30. Good on you. <laughs> one of my uh, five-year-olds, Taylor's uh, next door um, on his PC, doing doing using some math software. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, he's doing question and answer, you know, addition, which is great. Um, uh, one of the interesting things in um, Ray Kurzweil's book, The Singularity is Near, talks about that even despite the so-called... You did 30? How many did you get right? Two Only two wrong out of 30? You're an absolute legend. Uh, when I finish this podcast, I'll come and have a look. Go downstairs and tell Mummy she'll be so proud of you. <laughs> um, that uh, even if you take you outside of the dot-com crash and sort of the uh, backlash against internet-related technologies th that we experienced in the press and maybe in the investment community between 2000 and 2005, that um, the actual adoption of those technologies continued on its 
you know, um, logarithmic adoption over that period of time. It didn't miss a beat, which mm. is something that I think most people don't really appreciate unless they stop and think about it. Yeah, no, I mean, people... Everybody relates back to this whole dot-com boom and bust, and, and what they neglect to admit is that, yeah, I mean, the internet has become as pervasive as we kind of thought it was going to be, right? Um, certainly there were some technologies that were overhyped, but let's face it, who doesn't use um, email and, and SMSing and all that kind of crap? There's actually... Um, let's have a look. There was a really good... Business Week, and I haven't finished reading it yet, but Business Week were running a, an article called the MySpace Generation. And I don't know, I haven't looked at this MySpace thing, but I was listening to a podcast the other day. Um, I think it was O'Reilly's, Friend of O'Reilly's or something like that podcast where they grab snippets from different places. And one of the, pla- uh, one of the things that they had was you know, they were asking kids how they use technology now. And, you know, they were all just saying MySpace, MySpace, MySpace. I don't even know what MySpace is. Um, so I've got to go check it out. It's um, the thing that Rupert Murdoch just bought for... Oh, is it really? Well, yeah. there you go. Yeah, smart guy. Um, so, but the article is basically saying similar things, right? You know, that kids are just using this technology and it's second nature to them. And... You know, we all, well, except for you and I, Cam, we live online, but a lot of people out there just use sort of technology. You know, they go online and they have a look at eBay or they have a look at this and that and they do searches and then they go offline. Whereas these kids, it's just a normal life for them to be constantly in communications with each other, you know, fire a bunch of different technologies. And so people haven't really, it's one of those things if you if you're, doing some marketing or you want to raise the price of a product you just raise it incrementally by only a few cents at a time and people don't notice the price actually going up because it just happens very slowly over a, you know over a period of time and i think the internet's the same thing right i mean you look at what it's done in the last 10 15 years and it's phenomenal but people don't really talk about it that much because it just kind of happened day by day by day mm. Yeah, and, it, you know, if you think back to 1996, 1997, when people first started to become aware of things like email and, and web browsing, etc., it wasn't that long ago. We're talking not even a decade ago. It was probably a decade ago when, you know, those of us that were early adopters started getting involved in the web, but um, it's amazing how quickly it's it's penetrated society. Let's move on and talk about Adam Curry, mate. Yeah, good old Adam. Um, I was a bit surprised. That, I mean, I'll give you my take, and I guess for people that don't really know it, we're talking about um, Wikigate, which is a, a new term that we've created. Um, and he was caught out anonymously editing the podcasting entry in Wikipedia. And my take on it was, I guess, firstly, you know, what, why would he bother? You know, like, I mean, just, it seems, you know, the guy's got a business to run and, and, you know, he's trying to generate money for some VCs and stuff like that. So why would he bother just going in and, and editing? I mean, you know, like, to me, these guys should just be thinking, whatever, I don't really care what people are saying, I'm just getting on doing my shit. But, um, so that was my first take, but must, then when I looked into it and figured out that, you know, what he was actually editing was the Kevin Mark stuff, I thought, well, hang on a sec. I wrote 
So I wrote a chapter a few months ago about the history of podcasting for one of the books that will be coming out early next year. And it's, it, it did in there say that Kevin Marks did some work on an application in 2003 and he showed it at BloggerCon. And so I thought, well, hang on a sec, that means one of several things. Either Adam Curry didn't actually read what I sent him to review because I asked him to have a look at it just to make sure that it concurred with his um, view on the history of it. And knowing what a stickler he is for the history of it, you'd think he probably would be reading it. Well, if he's going to go into Wikipedia and edit it, you know, then he obviously cares passionately about the history, so I would have thought that he would have. Um, So either he ignored it, or, or he just wasn't focused at the time and didn't read it. He smokes too much, too many drugs. Or um, he did know that Kevin Marks was involved because I stated it. I mean, okay, it was only a paragraph, but it was, you know, a significant part of the the history of of podcasting. Um, which, while we're on that, Dave Weiner never replied, man. So at least I got Adam Curry's to respond, but Dave Weiner just blatantly ignored me. Now, maybe that's because I'm writing an O'Reilly book and he hates O'Reilly's guts. I'm not sure, but uh, at least some people had the dignity to respond. So anyway, yeah, that, they were my couple of takes on it. And the, the more I think about it, the more I just think it, it's... And I don't like his excuse, you know, like, oh, I didn't know how to drive a, a wiki. Well, don't edit it then. Bullshit, he didn't know how to drive a wiki. Well, it's not that hard, is it? I mean, wiki's, it's, what's the, it's Hawaiian for fast or something like that? <laughs> is it? But yeah, it's like that. If, you know, what is this guy's problem? I mean, it's not like in the last 12 months he hasn't already had all of the fating that any human being could desire in 12 months. He's been mentioned in every goddamn newspaper, television, and radio story, magazine story about podcasting. His photo is everywhere. He's on stage with Steve Jobs. He's, you know, this guy is pretty much Mr. Everywhere, Adam Everywhere for the last 12 months. He's raised $9 million through Kleiner and Sequoia. He's already got all of the ego gratification that one human being could ever expect unless he's like Michael Jackson and he's just insane but then to, so A he wants more which is the point here he doesn't want to share it with anybody B if you're that guy and you've got that kind of profile in an industry like podcasting and you're going into the Encyclopedia Britannica and you're editing the history on who did what if you were a half decent human being you'd be logging in and putting your name beside it and he'd be talking about it on his blog and being transparent about the fact that, hey, look, I don't think the facts are quite straight here and I'm straightening them out. So, you know, it's all about the conversation, right? (laughs) Which is the point of the whole thing. To have gone in there anonymously and tried to change history, it just reeks to me of uh, a guy who's got problems, man. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, the other interesting thing that's come out of it, right, is the the old rivalry between Weiner and Curry has raised its ugly head again because, you know, there was a point at the end... No, hang on, where am I? What year am I in? Um, Earlier this year with... uh, It was BloggerCon again. No, no, it was... um, Chris Perillo's um, Gnome Decks. Yep. Um, Curry and Weiner looked as if they were best buddies again, or at least not best buddies, at least they were on talking terms. And, and now the flame war between them on their blogs has started up again. So, uh, oh, it's, I mean, I reckon it's it's quite fun, you know. I mean, when I actually mentioned to people that I was writing a 
um, some pages on the the history of podcasting, a few people laughed because you know it was less than a year old when I was writing it, the, the term at least, anyway. Mm. But but as you can see, it's very Shakespearean, um, a Machiavellian even in its uh, in its story. It's quite um, quite fun, and it does go back more than a year, right? I mean, podcasting, the label's only been around for a year, but. It's actually much older than that. And both of these guys have got more money than God. I mean, Weiner and Curry are both independently wealthy and were before podcasting came along. They've both made millions since podcasting came came along. I mean, uh, you know, what what is their fucking problem, these guys? So, I don't know. And, you know, the other thing that I mentioned on my blog, have you noticed how Curry is now calling Podshow the Podshow Podcast Network? Yeah, when did he do that? And he's also trademarked. What is he trademarked? Just the, the Podshow Podcast Network, or is he I don't trademarked know. Podcast Network? God, no. God only knows. I mean, mm. he'll have an interesting trademark battle on his hands if he did, because, you know... We've got a history going back with that. But he's also taken that colour scheme. Have you noticed that? Yeah, yeah, I noticed after you mentioned it. He's also <laughs> taken our colour scheme. He's taken our name. I mean, you know, what is this guy's problem? And, you know, we've, <laughs> we've always pretty much stayed out of Adam's way. I mean, I've never got involved in all of the Adam stuff over the last 12 months, uh, you know, mostly because we just thought he was a tool. But, but basically, you know, we acknowledge the, the, the contribution that he made to getting podcasting off the ground and bringing it to people's attention and so we respect that and we've kept out of his way but um, I don't know yeah I mean and, and in the pointing in the history section of the book I actually do point out that he was instrumental my personal opinion is that without curry it would have taken a, it would have taken longer to really take off it needed somebody who was a front man um, to to make it you know interesting and and he did and he's still doing that um, you know it's 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 like in fact it's close to celebrity stuff right I mean what did he say on his blog that he's the someone or another of the the Wikipedia or something like that some famous person that I didn't quite see the link with but yeah he's definitely let's say he's the um the uh, hilton of, of wikipedia so uh you know interesting it's good for a laugh everybody we all need somebody who um does stupid things just to uh, keep us entertained well but it, it goes beyond that i mean it goes back to the stuff i've been saying for a while now my concerns about the citizen media thing that we're trying to build here is it's already uh, you know in podcasting sense only 12 months old it's already starting to get corrupted by greed and stupidity which uh, you know i guess whenever you get a bunch of people together you're going to see those two traits show their ugly heads but uh i have higher expectations on those of us that are coming together to build this particularly the people that are out the front you know, leading, making the early investments in this space, you, you would hope that they would show a certain amount of integrity and honesty and transparency in their dealings. If they're just going to end up being scumbags like the rest of the, you know, <laughs> guys running the media business out there, then... Yeah, and I think you're right. I think the um, the key word there is the transparency, which, um, what was it? Somebody put a comment on, uh, I don't know if you've responded to it yet, on your blog. Um, let's have a look. Let's see if you've responded. Um, yeah, you have. This is uh, Christoph talking about this is what you expect from in business. Yeah, now the question for you is, do you want to be the eternal evangelist or do you want to build a business? And I figured I knew what your response was going to be, but what did you say? Go on. <laughs> Tell me. 
I think I quoted uh, Albert Einstein, um, where it's one of my you know quotes I've been trying to live my life by for the last year or two. He says, "Try not to become a man of success, rather become a man of value." You know, I figure at the end of the day, when my kids look at me, what do I want them to see? Do I want them to see their dad, who's the richest scumbag on the planet? Or do I want them to see a guy who's, you know, tried to add value to the humans, the human race and has tried to make the most of his time and effort and energy in doing worthwhile projects and worthwhile things to make the world a better place? Yeah, and, he came for president. No, no, that's yeah, that's the you can't do that and be president of the current system. But seriously, <laughs> you, you know, and I, I, I don't believe that doing that and being successful are necessarily um, unachievable goals. I, I think you can be a person of integrity and be successful. And um, and if I'm proven wrong, then so be it. But I'd rather yeah. die with integrity and feel like I'm adding value than be the richest scumbag out there. You know? Yeah, look at Cliff Richard. <laughs> you could be the Cliff Richard of the podcast the Cliff sphere, Richard mate. Of podcasting. There you go. There's a goal. Oh, seriously, yeah, I, was, you know, I was also thinking of um, Branson. Branson, I think, is uh, seems to be a nice fellow, and he's got the right idea. I mean, he takes people to task when they uh, launch things and try and pummel them into the ground, and, and he's been successful. Unless I'm wrong, maybe uh, maybe he's a real scumbag, but he seems to have good character and integrity. Yeah, how do you tell? How do you know? But, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to wake up and look at yourself in the mirror every day, and you've got to look at your kids, and you've got to, uh, I don't know, you've got to have a set of principles, I guess, that you live by. Yep. And just, yep. you know, it, it just disappoints me when I see good, smart people doing good stuff just, you know, getting corrupted by greed and stupidity. But anyway, so be it, mate. Now, what else has been on your mind, Rich? I'll tell you what was on my mind on Friday. So, so, and, and I'm yet to hear your interview with the recent interview with Doc because I haven't had an exercise um, yet today. I think I'm going to be walking in the rain later this afternoon because um, my wife had to go out for a breakfast this morning. So I missed this morning's thing. Otherwise, I would have listened to it. But so I had a read of Doc's stuff, and this is you know along the lines of you know the telcos are taking back the internet and co-opting it and making it difficult for the rest of the world to use it. Um, the way we want to use it. And I thought, no, bullshit, you know, like market economies, you know, should help sort that out, which is bloody naive on my part. But anyway, so it got me thinking. But on, on Friday, I was also going to an open day for um, Australia's third largest ISP um, because I'm one of their customers and I thought I'd go along and have a listen and I enjoy that type of stuff anyway. I think they're a, an interesting company because they're taking on Telstra, who are Australia's, well, I mean, they are effectively had a monopoly because they were government-owned and now they're being privatised. And they've held back Australia as far as our telecommunications, although some people would argue that they haven't. They've held it, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, so I went along to this thing and somebody asked... the. They were talking about voice over IP because they've recently released a residential VoIP service for their customers. And I, and I was listening with interest as one of the people asked a question at the end of the voice over IP presentation about, well, can't people just use Skype because it's cheaper? <laughs> and the first response from iInet came back was, um, uh, it's not cheaper which is a load of crap because Skype is much cheaper, even if you're not talking about the free phone calls that you can make to other Skype people. 
Um, and I know because I've checked the call rates and I know which ones are going to be cheaper for me to use and which ones not. Now, my argument on the reverse side of that, had I worked for Ion, it would have been, no, look, that's fine, different, you know, applications for different people. Certainly for local and some of the international calls, it makes a lot more sense because it's easier to pick up your phone than it is to sort out a PC or a laptop or whatever and use that for voice over IP. But anyway, the next statement was the real clincher for me and and it ties in exactly with what you were talking with with Doc about. Um, he said, oh, well, the interesting thing is that in the US there are some telecommunications companies that are putting in place restrictions for different applications that you might use as a customer. I'm right. paraphrasing here, right? right. So effective, And then he said, again paraphrasing, that... So Skype will eventually find it difficult because eventually there won't be any bandwidth left for it as an application because internet service providers will be able to restrict the bandwidth it can use. So therefore he was implying that because it's a competitive product that it would be restricted on particular ISPs and therefore you know worthless to use, mm-hmm. which I'll be having a chat to... Um, the CEO of IINet in the next week and just point out how bloody stupid it was for his employee to say such a thing and that they really need to start thinking about how they as a um, community service really should be considering what their customers not want, not what they want their customers to want. <laughs> That's right. How do, how do they innovate and provide better service than Skype is rather than just shutting off Skype and internet-based services. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was talking with uh, Doc about last week. The, the company that's produced the packet uh, filtering technology that telcos are talking about rolling out is a company called Verso Technologies, V-E-R-S-O in the US. And they've already started trials uh, with a tier one carrier in China to block Skype. Mm. And uh, I think it's the CEO of SBC in the US who's sort of, I think they've just changed their name back to ATT, but they're sort of the major telco over there that has announced that they're going to um, look at filtering out Skype as well. So it's, um, you know, it's just depressing and annoying. And, I, and you know, I hope you're right. I hope that market forces do find ways. I mean, the thing that came out of the chat with Doc last week is the fact that Google, you know, obviously are still buying up a lot of dark fibre and might be able, you know, might have to become the uh, pipe provider of the future, at least in the US. I don't know what they'll do in other geographies. You'd have to yeah. think that, you know, Skype, now that they're part of eBay, have uh, got access to the cash to be able to build out their own broadband network as well, quite feasibly. Well, the other thing, and part of the reason why I was... Um more optimistic before I went to this presentation was I'd also been to a presentation, I think it was the day before, um, by Vodafone, who are, you know, the world's biggest um, wireless network. And they're talking about how they will become, you know, the internet service provider because, you know, they'll basically have the technology to do broadband over um, wireless 
you know, quite easily in the very near future. And in fact, I think he was saying that in Japan they're rolling out some ridiculous um, bandwidth um, to mobile devices. So the telco, I, I still think that yeah, there's still hope because there's more people in the market than just the the people that dot points out and there are other people that are going to want to do it as well. I mean I've got an aerial on my roof, it's a six foot mast with a, a microwave dish that happens to be not pointed at anything in particular but as soon as I want to I can actually set that up and become part of a community network which has been, you know, that's been built over the last few years here in Perth. So I can at least connect to other people in, in my local area but uh, you know it still needs a big fat pipe that's, you know tunnelling its way to another country. Mm. Well, it's going to be very interesting to see how it all plays out in the next few years, mate. Um, But, you know, it's just interesting to me that the very idea that we're sitting around these days talking about whether or not the internet, as we have known it for the last 10 years, will exist uh, over the next couple of years as, you know, a place where we can build new services and come together as communities uh, is really can't be taken for granted you know as I said to Doc uh, in the last 10 years I've expected to see lots of things happen but that was something that I never even for a second questioned as being in the future that I always just took for granted that we'd have fatter pipes and cheaper prices and uh, that it would continue that way market forces would drive it that way not that they would try and kill it well the the guiding light the the thing that i'm waiting for that'll absolutely shatter um telecommunications companies as we know it is um is using well if we and this is the important thing right this is i don't know if Doc, I'm sure he's a smart guy. He probably knows all about it because David Weinberger or Weinberger or however you pronounce it um, is intimate with it. So this is the open spectrum stuff. Yeah. Have you looked into that stuff? No, tell me about it. What is it? So at the moment, the way the government or governments around the world enable these telecommunications companies to effectively have a, you know, whatever opoly is they um, auction off spectrum. So the the old way of thinking from the you know 1800s was that the radio spectrum was limited and that you couldn't just shove as much as you wanted into it because there was interference. Now since then we've realised that it doesn't quite operate in the same way and we've also got computing technology that enables us to do stuff just like we do on the internet. So on the internet we avoid packet collisions and you know we can send stuff and and you know although there is a uh, there is an unlimited amount of bandwidth on it on the internet. We can still shove as much stuff down there as we want. It might just take a little bit longer to get there because it's having to make its way amongst all the other packets. But the idea is that you have a computing device that filters it for you and because it's intelligent and you can address things properly, you effectively don't really have to worry about um, interference on the radio spectrum. So the idea is that like we've done with um, Wi-Fi or 802.11, whatever, um, where we've freed up a part of the spectrum and said, okay, you no longer have to um, apply for a license to use this as long as you use it within these specifications, i.e. you don't broadcast some obscene, um, you know, um, power so that it, you know, disrupts other applications or other people's stuff that's going on. 
So the idea is open up all of the spectrum, or let's say not all of it, let's say we open up a big portion of the spectrum and just allow people to do whatever they want with it within certain guidelines. So like with Wi-Fi, it caused an awful lot of innovation and now we've got laptops and garage doors and baby monitors and microwave ovens and all that kind of crap, all using similar bits of the spectrum, but it, but it enabled those um, applications to work. So we do that with with a big portion of the spectrum and what that will in the future enable is for devices to communicate for free with each other. So the, the best example of it is uh, Nicholas Negroponte did a, a wide, there we go, back to Wide Magazine, um, did a Wide Magazine article, um, what did you call it, lily pads and frogs or ponds or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially what he was talking about was devices not only becoming receivers. So let's say your mobile phone wasn't just receiving and sending to base stations. Say your mobile phone could receive and send signals to other mobile phones in the local area, so within, you know, say 100, 200 metres or something like that. So let's assume that you wanted to make a phone call and you couldn't use a big fat pipe that a telecommunications company had had set up, or you didn't want to. So instead what it does is it sends the signal off to the local area and makes connection with another mobile phone just down the road and then it uses its bandwidth to do the same. And so it bunny hops or, you know, jumps like a frog from lily pads um, across the pond. So eventually you end up having... Uh, you know, you're sending the signal to the right point and place, just like you are on the internet, where it's sort of bouncing between nodes. So the so if we open the spectrum, it might allow things like that for happening. And there's all these other innovations, right? You know, like um, ultra wide band and all that kind of yeah, um, crap that can go on. The challenge with all of this, mate, is you know, who owns all of that spectrum? Well, at the moment, what the person that owns it is the government, right? And this is the point. Yeah, but right. why why does the government own it? Why isn't it like air? Well, that's the point, mate. Does the government like the internet or hate the internet? Well, it shouldn't have a bloody choice, should it? The government <laughs> represents its people. <laughs> Which government are we talking about? Yeah, I know, I know. You get it, but but no, you're but looking into it. <laughs> no, but that's Doc's that's Doc's other point, mate. It's not just the telcos that hate the internet. The government hates the internet as well. I mean, and you take the US as a classic example in the last election that they had and the uh, way that Kerry's people uh, tried to mobilise the internet, uh, mobilise people using the internet, I guess, to put up an electoral challenge, and they failed in the end, but it was a sign of things to come, and I think everybody realises that. The, The control of the media that governments have had in the past, and they've used that to manufacture consent of the people to get their bidding done, they, they understand now that that's slipping away. They hate the internet as much as the telcos and the, the entertainment industry does. They don't want to open this shit up. They want it to kill it. And they're going to use all sorts of justifications to get away with that. They're going to say, well, you know, uh, it's become obvious to us uh, through our intelligence. Intelligence tells us that uh, the terrorists... They use in the internet. It's all about terrorists, and uh, we need to filter it and uh, regulate it so we can make sure the terrorists aren't using it or the insurgents. We're going to use lots of words like insurgents and terrorists and uh, words like that that sound very scary, and uh, that'll be their justification for saying you not have internet. 
No internet for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I get you. I get your point. And, internet uh, Nazis. So let's. So if we want to be pessimistic, which I'm, I'm fucking great at being pessimistic. Um, ask my wife. Um, is it'll just go underground? Yeah. Sure. So then, the, then they'll pass a law saying it's illegal to be on the internet if you're using it underground, and they'll come and start suing us, and it'll be like the music industry and peer-to-peer all over again. Well, that's okay. Then we'll all be drinking our alcohol that we're banned from drinking as well, and and surfing <laughs> the net. And no, they want they want you to be, and they want you to be drunk. <laughs> they want you to be drunk. Don't worry about that. They want yeah. you to be drunk and watching Australian Idol or the footy, mate. That's exactly <laughs> how they like it. You just have another Fosters, mate, and watch the grand final. Don't you worry about anything. We're ta- Johnny and Kerry have got it all under control. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I it's, guess that's it's the fear, fun. man. I mean, you know, yeah, look, I'm... No, no, justified. And I think everybody, you know, I think what you're doing is fabulous on the show is pointing all this shit out because, you know, we need, we, everybody needs to know about this stuff. And, uh, you know, okay, maybe, maybe we're being a little bit cynical, but who cares? Let's, let's be cynical and make sure that governments and large organisations don't fucking take away our freedom. Um, I agree. I think it's and this type of forum, and let's see if I can get you onto a podcasting rant, um, it is exactly what we need. It's come at the right time, right? Which is why they're going to do their best to try and shut it down, mate. Um, you know. And they'll, just, they'll, they'll just get AOL to buy you or something like that, mate. <laughs> well, that's the other tactic, you know. You know, um, oh, man. Look, I've got big hopes for this thing. I, I really do see... The citizen media thing as one of the most important things to happen to... Oh, I've got a kid crying here. <laughs> <laughs> you need to go sort it out? Yeah, just hold on a sec. Yeah. And I can talk about whatever I want while Cameron's away. Unless he's got me on speaker. In which case it doesn't matter. So my next rant, which I'll probably have on my show at some point, is email. So make sure you listen to one of my shows because I want to have a big rant about how come people should read their emails and respond. And and I've decided I'm going to figure out a way of enabling people to use their email. So uh, so stay tuned for that. In the meantime, go and buy an Xbox, watch football, movies, and don't listen to Cam. Australian Idol's great. No, actually, Australian Idol's crap. Don't watch any of that rubbish. I watch all of the American uh, reality TV stuff. So, Survivor. Long live Survivor. Actually, that's what we should do. I should see if I can find an advert for some reality TV and see if I can put it in the middle of Cam's show. Uh, Just how do I tunnel that through Skype? Uh, I can't figure that out. Not in the time I need. Damn it, that would be funny though, wouldn't it? Because Cam hates reality TV. What else can we talk about while he's gone? What else doesn't Cam like? Oh, he's back. Be quiet. Alright, I'm back. You're back. I've just been having a chat with your audience. Don't you worry about anything. 
<laughs> Poor little guy. He did his uh, did his maths homework and um, was sitting there waiting for Daddy to finish his stupid podcast, and um, clicked on some button on the web browser and it went away and he lost all of his maths homework. Oh, you're joking. His first experience in uh, computers Backups. letting you down. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So you know, that, it's it's. I have big hopes for the what we can do with this citizen media thing, and and uh, you know, I'm determined to try and drive it down a direction that is a good thing for the human race, and it doesn't just get corrupted like you know, the rest of the the media out there that's owned by big corporations. And I'm not saying that it's all corrupted or that no journalists have integrity and are trying to do the right thing, but I think. We understand enough now to know that the uh, big corporation, the interests of big corporations, don't necessarily gel with the interests of uh, the the majority of the population. Actually, have you seen a film called American Splendor? No. Is it a new one? No. Oh, it's a couple of years old. Um, got a bunch of Academy Award nominations. It's about Harvey Pekar. You ever heard of um, Crumb, the cartoonist? Yeah, yeah, I have. Okay, so um, one of the cartoons that Crumb was doing sort of in the 70s and it's still going today is called American Splendor and uh, there's a bunch of um, writers and inkers and it's about a guy called Harvey Pekar. Yeah, yeah. And he's this is the guy, and he's depressed or something like that. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. He's you know he's he's depressed, and he started writing this car. He couldn't draw, so he started writing a cartoon about just his life. And he's sort of just an everyman living in Cleveland. And Crumb and a bunch of cartoonists over the decades have been doing the the pictures, right? Anyway, great documentary. It's sort of a, a drama documentary. It's part, it's half drama and half documentary on his life. But there's this one great scene where he's on Letterman. He went. He was invited on Letterman a bunch of times in the early eighties, uh, and uh, he he realised that they were sort of just making fun of him. Letterman was making fun of him in his usual style. So he came on one day and he started getting stuck in a GE and about the fact that GE owned NBC and that you know the company that was owned the television station that was feeding people's brains also was one of the largest players in the industrial military complex and making bombs and missiles and that were being used to blow the shit out of third world countries the, you know, the same company that owns the news that's telling you what's going on in the world is also you know working with your government to provide the missiles to blow countries up and, and he got kicked off of Letterman and never invited <laughs> back um, kicked off the air as you do but, you know, the, the, this stuff's been going on for a long time, and, and we finally have the tools available to us to, that we can control uh, that can enable us to get the other side of the message out there f- immediately, for free, and globally. And anyone can do it if they've got something to say. That's an incredibly powerful point in human history, and we've never had that before in the history of the human race. You know, 50 million years we've been working to get to this point, and it'll be... Um, incredibly depressing if we fuck it up just because we're sorry i'm not allowed to swear on my shows anymore i'll have to yeah, say you bastard frack it up i'm going to use the battlestar galactica terminology we don't want to frack it up because i wouldn't want to offend anybody with my evil devil language uh, speaking speaking of which i can't believe that you're a late per, you know late coming to the uh, battle battlestar galactica stuff did you watch the original series back in the oh when i was a kid yeah i guess I just don't. I just don't watch a lot of telly these days. You know, I don't watch any sort of well, very, very little free-to-air telly. If I'm watching anything, it's you know I've got it on DVD or 
somebody's given it to me to watch. And, uh, you know, I just, I just don't get, actually, I just started watching Firefly when I was doing my Betty exercise routine today. Um, yep. which I had Which we seen. should give another plug. Yeah, good on you, Betty. Betty PT. Betty PT. And, um, I, I saw Serenity, the film, but I hadn't seen Firefly, so, um, my next door neighbour, my new next door neighbour, who's a geek who works from home, who can probably hear me. Hi, Dave. His study is in the uh, <laughs> the room next to mine, joined by wall. It's great, man. We've got these two interconnected wireless networks, and we've got it all set up. It's pretty sweet. You nerd. But he gave me uh, you know Firefly to watch, so I started watching that. But um, you know, I hadn't seen Battlestar Galactica, but I've you know, as you know, I've watched series one, and man, that's a great show. Yeah, it is. It's by far the best. Um sci-fi ever on tv in my opinion and have you seen have you listened to the podcast yeah i have um and i really like it and i'd listen to it constantly if i had the time but i just haven't had the time since it's been on in fact i don't think i've watched uh here we go i'm gonna let everybody in my little secret in fact everybody knows that this is my show i think i haven't watched it while i've been watching some of season two yet um and I think well, I think we're a few. While you've been watching season two, what? Well, you you said you you're a you know you don't download it, mate. What are you doing? <laughs> I said that. Yeah, effectively you did. You said that you you got it on DVD. Yeah. I mean, why didn't you just download it? Well, I I, I would like to say on this podcast for the lawyers listening that I don't support <laughs> the downloading <laughs> publicly of content. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah, let's move on. <laughs> um, I haven't seen much of season... I've, I've watched a bit of the first episode of season two. Oh, have you? Yeah. Um, just to see if Commander Adama lived or died. I knew he was going to live, but... Ah, just come on, yeah, it was yeah. pretty obvious we knew what was going to happen. Just wanted to see what happened. Um, no, it's, it's a good show, and I just haven't been able to watch it. And no, I haven't listened to the podcast in a little while. I listened to a few while I was writing the book for, for the book, of course, Um and, and yeah, high quality. I got to say, it's it really. But uh, rather than listen to it before I watched the episodes, Cam, <laughs> I listened to it after I watched the episodes. Yeah, that's probably the better way of doing it. But you know, what a great idea, and, and what a great execution of the idea. More importantly, I remember back in like February when you and I started the movie show, we were talking about doing our own um, commentaries of movies where we would sort of start the movie at the same time in Edinburgh and Melbourne and just do a, a running commentary of the thing and let people <laughs> listen to it. We've never actually done it, though. You should do it. That'd be good. We should. We should. That'd be fun. I mean, we, we find it hard enough to actually get online at the same time to do a show, but, uh, yeah, let alone be that organised, but um, that'd be cool. Anyway, mate, listen, I'd better go spend some time with my kids. No worries. Thanks, Thanks for coming for the-, the show, Rich. Thanks for having me on the show after a year. <laughs> well, I was on good. I was on Gadget Show at some stage, wasn't I, early on? Yeah, yeah, a few months back. I can't really lose track of time these days. But yes, you were. We you should were do this more show. often, mate. I uh, miss having a co-host. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, uh, I can be your sock puppet. <laughs> no, you're a real guy. You're a real person. We know that. <laughs> Mick's not really. He's just a sock puppet. Everyone knows that. Yeah. All yeah. right, buddy. Thanks, mate. Have a good one. I'll uh, talk to you soon, Rich. Scratch you later. See ya. See ya. Hey. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, from the beginning. That's right. I'm back at the end. I waited around for the entire podcast just to tell you that it was brought to you by Motorola. Yeah, dude.
I gotta get some nachos. I am so hungry. Are there any near your house? The Podcast Network. Real power can't be given. It must be taken.